everybody to the TKW podcast. I'm Anthony Corbo at Corbo Anthony on Twitter and joining me as I do every episode from now until the end of eternity. Kyle Maggio at Kyle Maggio on Twitter. What's going on guys? And we got Brian Giberman at Brian Giberman on Twitter. What's up fellas? And uh, to begin the show with us this week we also have Ty Jordan uh, definitely hey. not Ty. Go ahead, do your hey, thing. Hey, what's up? It's Ty, a.k.a. The Handsome Heckler, a.k.a. Maja Jordan, a.k.a. Half Man, Half Windsor, a.k.a. Tyrantula, b.k.a. Bumba Clout, a.k.a. Tyrannosaurus Checks. What's happening? Everyone enjoyed the game? No. Yeah, I mean, enjoy is a certain oh, way yeah. to put it, but uh, ignore could be another way to put it entirely. Um, Ty... You have a story coming out soon, wherein you defend the head coach of uh, the head coaching job of David Fisdale. Now, David Fisdale has been the coach of the Knicks for 45 games now, and I would say there's mixed reactions amongst the fan base. There's mixed reactions on this call, even. Uh, why don't you talk to us about your piece and where you stand on David Fisdale at the moment? Yeah, quite honestly, it's uh, well, I'm almost done with it it's it's pretty much it, it's like you could call it a, a fluff piece you know in, in defense of David Fisdale and what he's done because you have to look at what he was given and you have to look at um <laughs> like what he's done with it because this team was built to tank it was built exclusively to tank and to not do much else so I'm not really sure what what everyone's expectations were for the team I mean we're in the bottom three isn't that isn't that what we wanted like, what did you expect? Now, Brian, <laughs> I know that you feel differently about the team. Why don't you explain your stance here? Okay, so I don't think this team was built to tank. That, that's not – so here, let's start with a quote from Scott Perry from last year. I just believe it's important to compete hard, do the very best you can, let the amount of wins organically happen versus trying to put your team in position not to win. I don't think that's healthy for any culture. I think if you try to institutionalize losing, that's hard to get out of your building. You may never get that out of your building. So Scott Perry has stated, and I think he said stuff along these lines more than once, that they won't intentionally tag. He didn't, when he was with the Kings, they went out and got Zach Randolph and a couple other veterans to help their young guys. So I don't think that's something Scott Perry believes in. On a day-to-day coaching, when David Fisdale is doing his job during the games, he is not intentionally losing games. I don't think any coach does that. And if a coach does do that, there are certain situations, like the Warriors, when they were trying to get Harrison a higher pick to keep their pick, that's something that happens back when they ended up with Harrison Barnes and they tanked the game in the end of the season to make sure they were able to keep their pick. That's stuff that happens at the very end of the season. It doesn't happen 45 games into the season. So I'm not judging David Fisdale through a prism of they're trying to tank games because I don't think that's what he's doing. And I also don't view it through a prism of wins and losses. That would be stupid. Because even though I don't think they're built to tank, I also understand the roster's young and they're not in a position where they're ready to win. But what I do think David Fisdale isn't doing well is they're not progressing as a roster. Like, if you watch what the Hawks, how they started the season and where they are now, they've used their young pieces and they've shown growth and improvement. The Knicks are going in the opposite direction. They're regressing. Now, some of that is injuries. Mitchell Robinson not being around for a long time, I think, hurts them because those 15 to 18 minutes he's on the court, even though he has no idea what he's doing, he can have a positive impact. But the... I'm just looking for how the team is coming together, and I don't see it going in the direction that I would like to. I think it's gone poorly, and I think some of that has to do with the positions 
that Fisdale has put the players in the roster. And there is some good he's done. I'm not discounting that, but I'm just going to leave it. I'll leave my point off there. See, I have... I have like two thoughts on it. And the first one is obviously we wouldn't view him through like a wins loss perspective. I just think it's more uh, to Brian's point of like the lack of identity that they've sort of taken. You know, I was hoping that there'd be more of a constant free flowing offense kind of a theme to the season. And uh, instead of like an offensive identity, what I find is it looks like a bunch of individual tryouts oftentimes for these guys, as opposed to like a uh, cohesive unit. Like, we'll see, like, one guy, like, try to take over. You know, we've seen, like, Trier have big games, or Knox has the big game, or Timmy has the big game, or Moody, Ivanley. Um, But we haven't seen many games where, like, everybody's sort of, or there's been few games where they've kind of all played well together. You know, it always feels like somebody's big night. So I I think, like, not having that sort of an identity, uh, a system to start being built is a little bit troubling. Um, And I guess on that note, I was going to ask the both of you, uh, what what do you feel about the young guys being uh, better than we thought? Like, who who gets credit here? Is it the guys, uh, you know, like Knox and, and Trier especially and Mitchell Robinson especially? Now, do we think this is a credit to Fisdale developing them, the Knicks developing them, or do we just think, uh, well, they're more or less, they are who they are, and we're still waiting to see how they can grow as players? Well, I think it's I think oh, it's kind of interesting how to look at which players have grown entirely at this point. Like, are we looking at where Alonzo Trier is right now after struggling throughout all of December and say that you know he's shown significant growth since the early parts of the season? Like, Kevin Knox has obviously gotten better since the beginning of the season too, but he's even had a slow start to January, and then that doesn't even you know bring up Frank Nealakina. So not only are we looking at who gets the credit for these guys' development, but in the end, who's responsible for maybe them not being quite at the point where we'd like them to be yet? That's actually the aspect I think Fisdale's done well with. I'm a fan of the individual skills he has the players working on, and I think he deserves credit for that area. I'm more complaining about a coach that hasn't been able to get more out of a unit than you would expect as a group. You know, we talk about team identity and, you know, like I guess developing as a squad, but you have to remember like how many of these guys are free agents at the end of this year? Eight. Like it's like if you're really trying to quote unquote build a team identity, you have to realize that a lot of these rotational players, even some of these starters, aren't going to be here at the end of the season. So what are you really trying to build? Then you look at all of the prospects, and like you bring up, like one thing we can bring up is the handling of Frank. But let's not even go there yet. He's like more or less fixed Moutier, and I think that in itself is a feat that he really needs credit for, to be honest. The kid, like, he's an NBA player now. I don't know if he's a starter. I don't know if he, you know, is going to stay with the Knicks or whatever. But the kid can play. The kid can play. It's just different. It's just different. And I don't think you can just say that, oh, he, there was just something that, you know, that that finally clicked or whatever. But I definitely credit Fizdale with that. I credit Fizdale with bringing up with, you know, just, I guess, reinvigorating Noah Vonley because he's looking really good. You know, he's not in the traditional power forward role anymore. He's can bring the ball up the court and he's really showcasing all these different Draymond Green type skills. He's been embraced. His playing style has really been embraced. And it's in every team that's passed on him now, like, never really gave him a chance they kind of look foolish now because he could be he could be a really really solid piece for a team i have to credit fisdale with that because he could have just you know relegated him to the traditional power forward maybe still in front of lance thomas because he's obviously a way better athlete but he could have like gone away from that and could have been just like corner sec and you know put him back into the traditional power forward role and made him post up a whole bunch So I have to credit him with that. And so, you know, when it comes to, you know, these individual building blocks, I I think that's way more important than building a team identity because they don't have a solid foundation to start on. Who's their solid, who's their foundation? Chris House Porzingis. 
who isn't even playing. So he, you know, he's been, he really hasn't had a, a real decent chance like since becoming the head coach. But, you know, you can say that's what the money's for, like Don Draper. But my opinion, I, th- I think he's doing, I think he's doing a fine job with what he's got. No, he's not like, he hasn't got them to the next level or whatever. But I, I think he's doing what he, he's, it seems like he knows what he's doing. And it's been a whole bunch of improvising throughout this first half of the season. And he has my confidence at least going into, you know, the all-star I, break. I think you're right about improvisation, like you're saying. He, he's definitely playing around, and he has the leash to play around with this roster, and he knows that he does because, obviously, the Knicks are 10-35 and 35 now. There's no real push to the playoffs that's going to be coming to save this team. So he has the leash to kind of improvise, like you're saying, but I think the question is, is he optimizing the roster? A lot of discussion on Nick's Twitter amongst us, you know, just in general with the fan base is, uh, do we agree with David Fizdale's rotations? Do we think that he's putting, you know, obviously we have a lot of questions about Ennis Cantor and what his role is going to be, and there was even a little bit of a potential trade chatter that picked up again today. But, uh, but you know, we have, we've often voiced some frustration about how we don't think that Fizdale is deploying the right players at the right time. Um, do you think that that becomes a bigger issue moving through the rest of the year? Or do you think he's going to keep on playing around, or do you think he's going to try to, again, stick to one set rotation? The, the experimentation is kind of cut down a little bit. It, it pretty standard issue for the past two months. Moutier, Knox, Hardaway, and Von Mike have started and played together. Those dudes in 335 minutes have been outscored by 132 points. Timmy, Moutier, and Knox by themselves, 100 outscored by 158 points in 431 minutes. And the Knicks are starting games horribly because he's just throwing out four awful defenders at once with Noah Vonley. And that's not... The one thing the Knicks could do with this roster is they could establish playing decent defense if he played the right players. And is the offense going to stink if you throw Frank and Dotson out there and surround them with certain people? Probably. But if you could just go, all right, our identity and the one thing we can do halfway decent is we can start playing some okay defense and you can build on that going into next year. It's something that they should look into and try and do. And the last three games, I think we've kind of started to see Frank and it's off. It's just the way he plays his individual because of his skills, his individual numbers aren't there, but it's starting to become what we saw last year when he was on the court, they were playing pretty well. And in these last three games, we're kind of starting to see that. And they played really poorly when Moody has been out there. Yeah. And you know, what's funny with the games that Frank's had, they haven't even been tremendous games. Like when we did all of our leading into the season pods and said, what do we hope to see Frank Nealikin to do this season? Um, how do we hope to see him progress? I remember saying like really innocently, if he just averages like 10 points and like four assists, I'd be really happy. I think like, oh, that's a really good step in the right direction. So these last couple of games, he's basically done that. I think he had nine and five today. And um, the game before that was... Uh, the one in London, he did, you know, he had an all right game in London. No, actually, he didn't have an uh, an all right game in London. I think he had three points in London. Yeah, he was one for seven. That was the worst. Yeah, that was a bad game. But um, but one I think as a whole, make was pretty. It was. It was the Harden-esque step, step back, back, but three, and then he misses it, six other shots. Yeah, in, in true Frank fashion, he he gives you the one good play and then nothing else. But it's, it's incredible. But um, no, I I think that's. What we've seen from the last three games, like, that's all that I really hope to see from him, like, consistently. Like, that's the thing I was talking uh, – we were talking about in our Slack chat today. Everyone's like, oh, Frank, uh, Frank's playing really well. I'm like, he's not even playing really well. It's, like, just solid. Like, that's what he should be doing. He should be scoring, you know, between 8 and 10 points a game. He should be getting you between, like, 3 and 5 assists a game. Like, if he's consistently plugged in, like, that's what he should be doing. So I think the bar is so low for him. Like, this is what I've expected from him. I've kind of been annoyed about it lately because this is what we should be seeing. He's perfectly capable of it, and we're seeing it. When he just kind of, you know, he doesn't overthink it. When he just kind of reacts, that's what we're seeing today, um, you know, today in the last couple of games. So 
he frustrates me. If he plays he like he does today for like two out of every three games for the rest of the season, do you consider that? Do you still consider this a down season for him, or is, does it become a little bit more successful? No, I mean, there's still a whole half of the season left, you know, about half the season, you know. So if he plays the entire rest of the season, you know, two out of three games, that's great because before we were getting, what, two out of ten? So, I mean, I would take two out of three in a heartbeat. I mean, to me, that's that's growth. I'm if we go, if we do what we just did, you know, the game in Philadelphia, then the stinker in London, then he has another good game like this. I mean, yeah, that would be growth for what we've seen from him. And Ty, I'll go, your thoughts right after this. I just want to. So the last three games, the Knicks are a minus twenty-two overall. Emmanuel Mudiay is a minus forty-four when he's on the court, a negative twenty-six point eight net rating, ninety-three offensive rating, hundred and twenty defensive rating. Frank is a plus 24, plus 15.3 net rating, 116 offensive rating, 101 defensive rating. And I think where the big change, I know we're talking about the offenses, that his defense has bounced back to the levels that it was last year where he's been truly impactful. Yeah, and I mean, even earlier this season, it just seems like he had a prolonged several-month lapse in confidence that allowed him to be a you know quality defender. But there was points at, or at the beginning of the season where – you know, he was able to, you know, follow guys all the way to the rim and make a stop there. And, you know, he was locking guys down on the perimeter. And that went away for a while. But it's exciting to see, you know, a little bit more. Again, only flashes. It, it would, too, like you said, two out of every three gra- games would be incredible to see it through the rest of the year. But, um, you know, hopefully some consistency on the defensive end leads to something on offense as well. That's true. You know, he's... It, it feels better to see him doing something well on the court, but it's still honestly not enough to get him on the court before Moutier or even close out games, in my opinion, because, you know, the Knicks still need to score points. Um, I think one thing Fizdo should have done maybe over the course of the last, uh, yeah, I guess the last half season is put Frank out there as just one through three guarding the best perimeter player. Like when he was like, we saw him guarding Paul George today. And it was, you know, he had that one possession at the, was it the end of the first. Um, just great. Yeah, he had a couple on Paul George, a one on Westbrook. Yeah, yeah, just great on-ball defense. And, like, you love that. You want to see that. You want to see him guarding the best play, perimeter player. Um, but just until he gets that right on offense, I don't, I, don't, I don't think I'd like – I can see why he would shy away from playing him so late in a lot in a lot of games, even if they are close, because you still need to score points, and you're not going to just have the guy out there or just bring him in for one possession when he's out there cold. He'd get lost on – he'd get lost on defense. And, you know, he just – you know, <laughs> and, like, what is he going to do, throw up? Like, what is he going to do in the last two minutes just – toss up two field goal attempts and, like, shyly miss them. But Moutier being out there and scoring isn't necessarily helping the offense. Part of the reason, like, that game started. They were down 35-10. to Moutier had, like, eight of the points, but the offense was dreadful because he was just dribbling the ball into the ground and not doing anything with it. And you see little things that Frank did was Hardaway got hot in that second quarter. or for Yeah, in the second quarter, and he just... He doesn't dribble the ball into the ground. He identifies the hot guy, just gives him the ball and gets some clean looks. So what Frank does that Moutier doesn't is he gener- he's a ball movement generator because he doesn't hold on to the ball. So why not play him with your two your – two, we can agree the two best scorers on the team, I would think, are, are Knox and Hardaway. So sure. why wouldn't you put Frank in a position to play with the other scorers and then have Moutier – play with some of the bench guys. I mean, Moutier and Trier, you don't really, Trier, you don't really need those guys playing together either. But why wouldn't you put Frank with guys who could score where his passing and his passiveness at times can put other players in position to be able to use their skills instead of having Moutier dribble the ball into the ground and have Knox not be involved at all? Moutier and Trier sharing the floor together scares me very much that that ball will not move anywhere it is just going to be guard play the entire way through um i i i think that i like what you said about frank being probably the best ball mover on this team actually at this point i i would say but uh just the way that he's able to like 
facilitate like that. He's able to use his length. He's able to use his reach and, you know, his incredible wingspan to facilitate the ball movement and, like, contort in kind of some different ways. It's He's able to pass around the defender very easily. That doesn't seem to be a challenge for him. And, you know, that's kind of been a strength that I've seen so far from him. And, you know, as long as he's keeping that up and he instead goes ahead and takes some shots from time to time and, you know, hopefully his stroke comes back and finds him because he's not even hitting the shots that he does take. But um, but I think just the way that he moves the ball around the court, like you're saying, is probably the biggest uh, the biggest attribute of his at the moment. The last yeah, thing, when, he, prefer- when he's not deferring. But... Right, no, there's a say- difference between keeping the ball moving and deferring. Like, he he too often defers because he, like, doesn't know what to do and just wants to get the ball out of his hands, but there's other times where he's able to actually recognize where the ball needs to go and and mm-hmm. pretty easily get it there. Yeah, he's not really uh, all that good in the half-court sets. Um, that's usually when he has trouble picking his spots a little bit more. And I, I find it funny that we always talk about him being drafted for the triangle and everything, but I think really his, he's going to be at his best, and we've seen him at his best a lot of times when they're getting up and down the floor a little bit more. Um, we saw that a little bit more today, but it felt like that against Philadelphia too, just kind of getting him rolling towards the rim. So I, I just kind of think the the faster the pace, the better. I think it helps limit him overthinking things and his decision-making, and he can just kind of make the – He's a smart player, so he's going to make this the good read, the you know more often than not. Um, but when he's a little aggressive doing that, I think that's when he's at his best. So just kind of getting him in a free flowing kind of way, I think, is uh, when he's going to be at his best. So, Ty, thank you very much for coming on and talking Fizdale and the unsurprising amount of Frank with us. Uh, it's nice to have you on to talk about Frank because uh, I know you have fairly different stances than us on uh, Frankie Smokes, and uh, you know as much as you appreciate a good nickname, you're down on Frankie Smokes, and that's uh, surprising to me. It's just, I just don't, it just it doesn't it doesn't vibe with me. I still I'm down for the Lee Bastille when he locks someone up, mm. you know. That's Lee Bastille. That's, that's probably the most underrated one. Todd, what did you think about the numbers I threw out there from the last three games, and why do you think it's like that? Since I, I'd like to hear the perspective of someone who's not as high on Frank. You know, it's I mean, like I mean, it's fine. I mean, I've been, I've been, I guess, yeah, I've been more up on him lately because I mean, I don't want him to play. I don't want him to play badly. You know, like I want to root for Frank, but. You know he's been uh, the the defensive numbers are defensive numbers are better, which makes me le- worry about him less because at sometimes sometimes I think that hey Phil Jackson just he just burned a draft pick that's all he did he took a hundred dollar bill and he just lit it on fire, but it's good when I don't feel like that when I'm watching games, so you know he's been a little better defensively and I think the more that. Defense leads into offense, which is you know, which could be a strong point for Frank Nealikina. Where whereas like like Kyle uh, mentioned, pace can really facilitate his you know being involved. I think that I think that the more they get into that, where him and Knox get involved, and him and lineups with him, Trier and Dot, um, where you have a bunch of athletic mid-sized dudes just really getting up and down the court and just being a little more stronger, a little having a little length up out there. I think it could be really good for his development into whatever it is that he ends up being. So I think, so you know, I'm 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 happy for the kid. Like I wish he didn't like suck in front of his family in London, but I know they're probably they're probably even more mad now since he had a pretty decent game. Like why couldn't you do this at home? Why couldn't you do this when we were here? Hmm? I know exactly. It's a disappointment. <laughs> exactly. That's what they're saying. Like why like why you couldn't why you couldn't do that when we were watching you, huh? You know? Like I, I definitely he's definitely gonna get a couple of those calls tonight. He's a I disappointment to his family name. Uh, <laughs> much like yourself, Ty Jordan. So uh, Yeah, we absolutely. Thank, we thank you for joining us on the TKW podcast. You gotta you can catch him on Tyraid. You can catch all of his pieces at the dot com. Do you have anything else you want to plug? Um be on the lookout for my piece um, in defense of David Fisdale. Catch me on the tirade on the Periscope on the Knicks uh, on the Knicks Wall Twitter account. 
uh, videos every pregame, halftime, postgame, hashtag tirade. That's T-Y-R-A-D-E. <laughs> all right. Nice talking to you all. So the Knicks lost again on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Uh, They played against the Oklahoma City Thunder on a game which I missed the first quarter of because I um, did not realize it was an afternoon game at all Uh, and caught up as the Knicks were already in nearly a 20-point hole. But, uh, But needless to say, the Knicks... Are now nineteen and twenty-one in the la- nineteen of their last twenty-one games. They are ten and thirty-five on the season. It's not going great for our team, but what you do want to know about our team, you're going to want to find at thenixwall.com. You're going to want to follow us on on Twitter. You're going to want to follow at the Knicks Wall on Twitter. You're going to want to follow TKW Podcast. You're going to want to subscribe on YouTube to the Knicks Wall. You're going to want to. Uh, follow us on Twitch, all of those things. And, of course, you're going to want to give this podcast a five-star review. Because it's getting pretty desolate out there, and we are the light in that sea of darkness. That got poetic. Yeah, it took a dark turn there, buddy. It did. I I, it did. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, it got a little sad, and then it got even sadder. And it, get, it got sad. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry for everybody uh, has to be put through that. It's it's how I'm feeling today, because I had to watch the Knicks lose another game. It's getting it's getting to be something. It's getting to be a lot. And I, I, I do want to say I do want to say a quick thing. I don't want to like drone about the loss because they they're going to keep losing. They, it, it's a season full of losing. We knew this, whatever. But uh, I tweeted something from the Knicks Wall account today where I was just like, man, like they haven't won at the Garden since uh, December 1st. I think they've lost nine in a row at the Garden. And uh, just uh, the, the, we know they've been terrible, right? Kyle, they've so won said, three like, games since November. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's horrible, horrible. So I just put, like, this is, this is embarrassing, like, to not have won a home game in almost two months. And... It's embarrassing. Someone's just like, no, it's not. You know, it's a it's a developmental year. Losses don't matter. Guys, like, I hear you. I, I do. But losing this many times, it's still embarrassing. It just is. Uh, you can disregard the embarrassment. You can put it off. It is still embarrassing. We are still a, a laughing stock in the sense that we lose lots of games. And if everybody, every team knows, they're probably going to win when they play us. It is embarrassing. Uh, I know it's a developmental season. I think next year is going to be really good with KP healthy, regardless of the free agent situation. But uh, just losing games is always embarrassing, just period, especially in this fashion. You know what's embarrassing? What? Losing to the Suns. And what, what was the final score of that Suns game? 128 to 110. You know what's embarrassing? Losing to the Suns by 18 points. While you're rookie potential cornerstone is having the best month of his career. And he still loses to the Suns by 18 points. It's it's getting to be a lot. It's just there's I mean now that you know they've 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 lost 19 of 21 games and it's just you know things don't seem to have changed very much since you know before Christmas or even you know around Thanksgiving you know other than a couple of players you know either struggling or having hot streaks like there's not there doesn't seem to be a lot of breakthroughs that have happened for the Knicks so far. And there's still a lot of games left to be played, but I feel like I'm a little bit more concerned with our roster development than I was at a than I was earlier this year or to begin the season. I've just I don't know I don't think that players have necessarily stalled out on us or anything like that, but I'm growing more and more hopeful that the Knicks make a splash in free agency. See, that doesn't concern me. Like, the individual player stuff, I think they're fine. And this is pretty much what you would expect out of a team that, like, the average age of the guys playing is, like, 22 or 23. They're not going to be 
they're just not going to be good when Tim Hardaway Jr. is your best offensive player. And, I mean, he played his first good game today in, like, a month. Yeah, he had been off for a while, but definitely that second quarter, he woke back up today. Yeah, he was 4-9 for, from 3, 7-14 from the field. But that that kind of stuff I'm not worried about. And Knox and Frank, I mean, for those guys to really be contributing at a winning in a winning way was always going to be a little bit down the road, especially without Porzingis. So this stuff is expected. That's why we, that we talked about with Ty, my worrying is more a little bit about how Fisdale, like in the Wizards game, he closes that game and he's throwing out a lot of Trier, Knox, who else was it? Uh, Timmy and Moutier all together and and how do you expect to get a stop how do you expect the ball to move these are the things you're preaching and then you're going ahead and you're doing stuff that's the exact opposite like the last Knicks coach that I thought got more out of the roster than they had was Derek Fisher and I'm tired of that being a thing in my head but on the Thunder game to keep it there and not go back into Fisdale. Um, I don't know. I'm, all the losses are frustrating and they all string together. Yeah. It, it's just, it's getting very repetitive at this point. It's getting kind of monotonous. It's getting, you know, this is the point in the season where a lot of people start to lose interest. You see it every year where it's just, you know, the Knicks are fun and exciting and the young players are developing and that's all good and, and great up through Christmas. And then, you know, it just gets to a point where the losses just pile up and, you know, the Knicks go on this road trip that they just got back from. And then they play against all these playoff teams in the weeks that follow. And it's just, you know, they go to London, they play a game out of the country and it's just, you know, it takes a toll on them and that takes a toll on the record. And it's just, you know, it gets to a point where it's just, it, it can be pretty hard to watch and there's not a ton of positives to take away uh, from the Oklahoma City game today. Uh, I guess the one that we can talk about a little bit more, though, was Alonzo Trier. He finally had a bit of a wake-up game. He scored 16 points. Uh, looked pretty... He, he looked like he was more confident in himself out there, and I think that's the key to him becoming uh, a more complete player. Yeah, I mean, they played him at point a bit today, and he was actually moving the ball pretty well. Uh, we know it's one of his bigger weaknesses, ball movement in general, but, you know, especially finding guys to score. Um, I, he's capable. He just doesn't really do it a whole lot. So we saw him moving the ball. He had a couple of nice passes today, and I think he finished with eight assists, if I'm not mistaken. Just pulling up the box score real quick, but I wouldn't say I wouldn't say he had a triple double, but I think he was near. He was like flirting with okay, sixteen points, six rebounds, eight assists. There we go, That's a couple of steals. Nice. Yep, uh, he was three of eight shooting, but um, I, I know Brian wants to touch on this. He got to the line ten times. It was a perfect ten of ten from the line. Uh, so there was that. So, I mean, just a nice all-around game, uh, aggressive both um, on the boards as well as going to, to the rack. So, Brian, what did you see with Trier today? Well, I think the 10 free throws is the important thing. If he's – the best scorers always have some inconsistencies with their shooting. And the way you stymie that and the way you deal with that is by consistently getting to the foul line. And I think that's something – that I expect him to do the, with the way he plays, he should be able to get to the foul line pretty regularly. I still think he, some of those mid range jumpers, you want to see him turn into turn into threes when it all depending on where you're taking him in the shot clock. I think he took a couple in like the 12 to 22nd range in the shot clock where either attack the basket take a three, or move the ball. I don't need some of those 18-footers as early as he's taking them in the shot clock. Right, and that's just something that he's going to have to outgrow as he you know, develops a little bit more in the NBA because that's what his game has been built on. But he's starting to get to a point where you know, like, like he's getting to the line, he's able to find contact a little bit easier. He's 
you know, been played at this point guard position little by little, and he might not be, you know, completely adequate at doing it, but the more reps he gets there, the more he's going to be able to develop his his vision, his passing game. I think all that's going to lead into him kind of phasing out those, you know, early shot clock mid-rangers or ISO plays and everything like that. So uh, I thought that this game, with how complete the box score looked for him, it was... Definitely a good step towards becoming a more complete player and less of that just one-dimensional rep that he already has in the league. Yeah, like what I've seen the last couple of games uh, in London, he was pretty good too. So hopefully he just keeps building off of it. I, I do think that I know people have issue with the Trier playing point guard thing, especially when Frank's not getting uh, the minutes that we had hoped for there. Fisdale did say that Frank is going to be the backup guard like just locked in going forward which has mostly been the case lately but um i think we'll see that balance out but i do like that fizdale has played him there because we keep talking about this as a developmental year and forcing trier to have to be the guard and initiate the offense and kind of initiate the ball movement um even when he's not great at it i kind of like that um trier has been better than we thought he was going to be when they initially picked him up uh he figures to be a part of their future plans now after he re-signed the deal uh, i think that two-year deal so i like that they're kind of forcing him to do things that he's not good at in a lost year to kind of help him get to be the sort of team player that they hope that uh they could be in a couple of years when hopefully they're a little bit better i feel like david fisdale has no idea what the words locked in means the guy says constantly that you know one guy is a lock for a certain position or somebody's going to be in the starting lineup or will have a defined starting lineup you know, within a certain amount of games or it will be start, changing a starting lineup every few games. Uh, I, I have a hard time trusting exactly what Fizdale says to the media, and that's not you know, a terrible thing, but I have a, a hard time whenever he makes a definitive promise to the media, uh, totally believing it because I just... He's proven to have to change his rotation in the past, and that's fine. That's what you do when you're a coach. But I think Frank just still needs to be very careful out there, uh, you know, and continue to make these strides that he, you know, he made today, and hopefully he can keep it going. Uh, because I just I don't think that even with the Knicks have nothing left to play for except for development, I just don't think that his leash is quite as long as we're being led to believe. One player. Oh, go ahead. No, no, you. Oh, I just had a quick one, so you could just go re- uh, real quick. But I was going to say he's got to continue to help himself. That's what we talked about the last couple of weeks, um, and he's now doing it. Like, you got to help yourself. Yeah, we know he's not getting maybe the amount of minutes we want him to get, but in order to get those minutes and make sure that Fizdale kind of can't turn you down, you got to keep performing. So, yeah, like, you got to kind of keep inching towards this consistent double-digit scoring or just about – and you got to start filling the stat sheet in other ways, like we saw with the five assists today. So um, that that's all. Just He's got to keep helping his own cause at this point. I, I firmly believe that as much as I love him. I was super excited to watch this game because all the noise before it was that Enos Kanter wasn't going to be in the rotation. And then Luke Cornett has the fucking balls to Ugh. twist his ankle. Me watch Enos Cantor. The gall of this guy. What a jerk. Like, I mean, he does have some nerve to try to stand up towards a full-grown Stephen Adams. Like, Luke, Luke Cornett, if anything, is not full-grown. He may be there's seven a, feet there's tall. There's always a white guy a on this team getting his face broken in. You know? Yes. A- uh, every year. Cornett every year learned just... wisely in his rookie year from Ron Baker how to get the shit kicked out of him in an NBA. A- every year, a prep schooly kind of looking white guy just gets his face absolutely decimated on an NBA court for the New York Knickerbockers. It's a, today was a waveable offense, as much as I love Cornett. I'd wave him and buy out Cantor in the same day. He made me watch Maureen as Cantor by getting hurt. He gets waved, and then Cantor gets bought out. So I don't have to watch either of them. Full 48 yeah. minutes of Mitchell Robinson. Yep. I, I, I will say. With the fouls. We bring the Summer League rule in. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, 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 will, I will say as good as Cornets looked offensively uh, of late. Today, he was. they just went right at him early. Uh, OKC went right at him just multiple times. And uh, he was – anytime Adams was on him, he was a BBQ chicken. So um, – you know he was he was really not having a good game before he got his face smashed and uh, we'll 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 see what happens now. But 
So do we canter? Did you guys read his comments? Did you see him? Yes. Yeah, Cantor spoke with the media uh, today after today's game and had some thoughts on where he sits on the Knicks' depth chart. I was very disappointed. I mean, there is nothing to be happy about it, so I'm not happy. And uh, I'll definitely don't agree with the uh, decision, of course, because, I mean, every player, I mean, we are competitors. Everyone out there wants to play big minutes. And... Um, but um, I mean, if you look at it the whole whole year, first 41 games, I did not miss a game, and um, I mean, I did put me in a fourth or whatever uh, center rotations. Definitely hurts hurts a lot. But I think right now, all I can do is just try to go out there and uh, try to be a good teammate and just keep supporting my teammates and just try to help the young guys get better. Were you you said in Denver you wouldn't demand a trade to shot, but. Uh, I mean, everybody, everybody knows I love him. I love it here, man. I mean, I, I just saw one more day, one more time tonight that I, I went out there. It's like, it's like my home. I, I love it here, but uh, in the end, I want to play basketball because I, I miss playing basketball, man. And uh, I will let Scott and uh, my agent handle that stuff. So obviously, Cantor. Feels like he's out of the rotation. He's not happy about it. He previously had mentioned that he uh, would not submit a trade request to the Knicks, uh, uh, you know, just because he did not believe in doing that. But uh, he's now saying that he loves it here, but he wants to play basketball. Uh, obviously, we all have a certain way about how we feel about whether Ennis Cantor should be on this team or not moving forward and what exactly we should do with him, but. It seems like Cantor is now opening himself up to the possibility that he would welcome an exit. I, I mean, it makes the most sense for both parties. I mean, he wants to he wants to play clearly and rightfully. I, whether or not you like him, he has the right to want to do that, uh, especially ahead of a, a big payday. That's anybody would want that. Any one of us, if he, we were in uh, his shoes. So nobody could blame him there. And obviously the team just um, wants to focus on development. You know, they have a bunch of good young guys at that position. Cornette's been, at least for me, better than I thought he was going to be. Um, you know, Mitchell Robinson's a little bit farther along, you know, talent-wise than I thought he was. Um, I didn't think it was going to translate that quickly that well. Uh, so it's it's time. Um, I wouldn't have seen that coming at the beginning of the year, but... It is what it is. Uh, it just sounds like, the, you know, him and the team are on the same page with their statements in a way. So it seems like we might be heading towards a conclusion on this. It, it, it just kind of sounds like that to me. What about you, Brian? Uh, I had I had no problem, actually, with why. I, as someone who takes anything and everything Edis Cantor does and uses it to take shots at him, I, what he said after the game – today uh, against the Thunder on Monday was perfectly acceptable and exactly what I would expect. He shouldn't be happy that he's getting pulled out of the rotation. It's totally understandable that the guy wants to play. And I agree with what Kyle says. It's that it's just, it seems like like they're heading towards an amicable, amicable divorce. And it's the right thing for both parties. If they can't find a trade pretty quickly for him, just, agree to a buyout or waive him and let him go wherever he wants. Yeah. And the reason I say they're on the same page, because there was one um, quote that really stuck out to me that Fizdale had. And um, I think this was right before the game. And he said, I just had an open and honest conversation uh, about having three centers right now. And just where we uh, are from a team standpoint. Um, 10 wins at this point of the season and two young, talented fives. I'm going to try to do my best to share those minutes, but I have, uh, but I do have a priority to grow those players. So he seemed to finally like take a, to me, that's very, it, it kind of is what it is. Like, I, I think it's very clear to see what he's saying. They're like, we're committed to these two guys. We're going to play these two guys. And that's where the priority is. It just seems like, uh, I wouldn't say it's like disingenuous or anything. I just, I mean, it's like the company line. It sounds like because then Cantor's kind of saying the same 
things, but from a player's perspective. So it just seems like they're going for a very amicable um, split here. It just seems like everybody's in agreement with how they're going to move on. Yeah, it was like it just seems like everybody was saying the right things earlier in the season about how you know he's going to play, everyone's going to be happy, everything will be fine, and now they're just doing their part to walk it back because Ennis Cantor will no longer be on this team after a certain point uh, before the end of the season. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's like it just seems like it's not. Yeah, it's it's almost like a no news story to me, where this is. I mean, this is what we all expect, right? It it is. I, I think just the more definitive sounding statements is what's noteworthy here. They sort of alluded to it, like, oh, what are we gonna do? We want Canada to play, but we also want to get these guys minutes. And today they're just like, we're getting these guys minutes. Like, that's it. Like, there's no Cantor. It's just, we're getting these guys minutes. And then Cantor's statement was like, well, you know, I'm not happy, but, you know, he's very professional about it. Just, I want to go someplace where I can play. So it seems like they both said their public statements, like, in the, in the nice way that you're supposed to kind of give notice. So, Can yeah. Can we feel I, I, that Cantor's recent... Uh publicity that he's experienced makes him more or less likely to find a home in another uh, another team. I think it's fine. I don't think he'll have anything to do with anything. I, th- I think he's going to go, he's going to get picked up very quickly. I mean, uh, again, whether or not you like the guy and whether or not you want to whine about defense, what he is good at is very important to um, probably, I mean, a good team, but I mean, there's a specific role for that kind of player. And again, I, I've always referenced the OKC thing. Like I think they used him perfectly with how they flanked him with defenders, and uh, really got the most out of his rebounding and inside scoring. But I, I think something similar like that. I think somebody's going to try to do something similar. I, I think he's, he's going to be a little bit more calculated the next place that he lands. So it's a, a better fit where he's not getting blown off the the floor for you know an overmatched team like the Knicks. And he just needs to be in a position where. There's, I, I think I've said this before, where there's a clear hierarchy and he will be in no position to bitch when the playoffs come around and it's like, all right, we can't use this dude right now. And I also don't think he would publicly bi- uh, bitch with whoever the new team is, regardless of the situation, because you, you can't do it. And, and I know we said it for the Jimmy Butler thing, too, but you can't do that on consecutive teams right before you get paid. Like Jimmy Butler can at least do it because he's more talented. You know, but in Ennis Cantor, you can't kind of play yourself out of a contract by making a big deal about things every stop of the way. So I think regardless, he'd be on his best behavior at the next location. The Wizards, that might be a place that makes sense. Just is he get playing time there? And it's his old coach. That's true. And they're that, starting that connection is interesting. I, they like their... I mean, they like Thomas Bryant, though. I feel like they're pretty high on him and what he's done the last couple of weeks for their season. But Ian Mahimi behind them, I think and, uh, that's one that jumps out at me as a spot that might... And they want to make a push for the playoffs. They're not giving up on anything. They've already told uh, the owner, already said there's no wet chance in hell they'll tank, even though they've lost Wall for the year and the team's pretty dreadful overall. That That could be, that could be one. So, all right, do we have any other thoughts on Ennis Cantor before we take a look at what's coming up for our Knickerbockers? No, just hope it gets resolved uh, quickly and wish him the best wherever he ends up. All right. I was the worst. <laughs> That's just it, cruel and excessive. <laughs> nope. Uh, Brian, never. Um, all right, well. I'm out. I don't wish him the worst. I don't hope he dies from someone trying to kill him. Yeah, oh, just, good. No. I, I, <laughs> Not a, how, how kind of you. <laughs> from, a, from a basketball perspective, I wish him no good, outside of not getting hurt. Um, actually, before we move on... Well, alright. Before we move on to what I was going to move on to, this is just the friendly reminder, again, to please go follow and subscribe to everything that we do. Uh, because we count on you, and it's really important. And before we go to talk uh, about the uh, the upcoming schedule for the Knicks, we have to discuss Carmelo Anthony having uh, quite the day. 
He has now played for or been a part of the roster of four different teams over the past two years. Uh, he just got waived by the Chicago Bulls after being traded there, along with Cash, by the Houston Rockets. Uh, what is it like to stay mellow right now, Kyle? I, I was surprised it was the Bulls. Like that, that was the first thing. I really thought it I just, was going to be able to go see him. I I really was going to get some Bulls tickets uh, to go see Melo in the uniform, but I I didn't think that they were going to keep. Like once I saw it was the Bulls, I didn't think they were going to keep him. I thought they had have just been waving him, but I, I was just like the shock value of seeing. It's it's like weird because he's he's been linked to teams, so like now he's been hitting those teams that he was linked to. Like the Rockets was the first. And again, like I didn't think it was like going to be a tremendous move for Houston or anything, but just like the shock value of seeing his his name with Houston, I was like, oh, oh man, like that. It just felt like a big move, even though I knew it wasn't. And the same thing, I saw his name and then Chicago, which he was linked to in uh, the summer of 2014, and like just seeing him finally there for a second, uh, the same kind of thing. I was like, whoa, you know. But just. Uh, I don't know where he's going to end up. I think the Lakers keep going to get lofted out because of LeBron, but um, I, I don't. I don't know. But apparently, the the rumor is he has suitors. So, like plural. If if a team signed a literal piece of shit out of a toilet and offered the Bulls five dollars to take it on, they would. They I don't care. That, I thought that comparison was going to go much less in Melo's favor there. <laughs> no, that was it has nothing mellow. That, I'm not making fun of mellow there, even though that is about the level of basketball he plays tonight. That was not that was not the point that I was making. It was more making fun of the Bulls that they I, they don't. It's just it's like a just you give them money, they will do whatever they yet, want. That, that, that's yet, it. All they need is cash. All they need is cash consideration. And yet, it. campaign still got cut. Campaign got cut from the Bulls. And they are more likely to play human fecal matter than they would play Cameron Payne. Yeah. It's it's a fascinating time to be in Chicago, let me tell you. I, I, I've oh, never ahead. seen a team operate like this. It's worse than what... Okay, it's not as bad as what the Suns did when they were good and they were selling draft picks. But that that's was unbelievable. The, that's the closest thing I can think of to this is that that they're just standing though like the Suns were selling picks to get because they didn't want to pay people the bulls are just like send me whatever player you want and i just just give us any amount of money and we're good we don't really (laughs) care about anything else it is it is strange it's it's very very strange has jabari Parker um, played in the last like five games i think he's back in uh, Boylan's good uh, good graces now, I think. Uh, I, I remember reading a quote about that last week, I feel like, about how he earned his way. Like, he finally did all the things he needed to do on, on a checklist or something like that. And, on the uh, checklist? He's, he's, yeah, there, there was like, it was like a weird, because Boylan's a weird dude. It was, it was something like he, he met the criteria or, or something like that. Is that like, Boylan or is that the leadership committee? That, the, <laughs> Featuring rookie yeah. Wendell Carter Jr. Yeah. Yep. Parker played 12 minutes today. Yeah. Is it good to be back in Jim Boylan's bad in good graces, or is that a bad thing? I kind of feel like that's a negative. The, he got the stories I've read so far. That dude is wild. How but how bad do you have to be to be signed to a 20 million dollar contract and receive 12 consecutive DMPs? And then that's all the of a sudden dream, you're man. back in his good graces. You, you've you've checked every box. You've unlocked the the mystery of Jim Boylan. There's a that that's happened. Greg Monroe, Kenneth Fareed. There, there's a few guys out there that have big contracts that just basically went place to place and just sat because they were filler in trade deals. Yeah, but that, but it's different with Jabari Parker because he was not filler in a trade deal. They gave him all that money. They, they I mean, that's the dream, right? We could have this just come now, just sit on our bench after he made it. 29 games before he got a DMP? Wouldn't you love for somebody to just come up to you and be like, look, I really love what you bring to the table. We haven't really seen you in action in our system yet, but here's what we're willing to do. I'm going to pay you $20 million this season. 
And, uh, and maybe twenty million next year. And maybe twenty million next year. But but you know, um you know, you just gotta just gotta ball out. I think you're gonna be great here. Just gotta promise me. That's basically what the agreement was. And then he comes in and uh he says all kinds of things at the press conference about like they don't pay you to play uh defense and just just wildly outlandish shit and you just knew immediately that this guy didn't care uh and it was truly unbelievable unbelievable he he got points at the beginning of the season and then they benched him because he was just horrendous uh everywhere else his effort was low and then he got paid to just sit and isn't that the dream somebody believed in you so much in the beginning and you just did not come up on your end of the bargain, but they guaranteed you so much money. That's it. That's it. He's set. You can pay me a lot less to sit and do nothing, too. Yes. Yes. yes agreed. Agreed. Like, I would take a, a fraction of that. He didn't play from December 15th until January 12th. He made it nearly an entire month without playing a game. Like, I, I want to do the quick math now and divide his contract up and figure out how many games that is that he didn't, that he just got paid to not, like, but easily he made several average person salaries to just sit there. Literally my dream. It's incredible. <laughs> Okay, this podcast has been going on for um, what feels like an eternity, but it was really just an hour. Um, so why don't we do a little rapid light- lightning round of what's coming up next for the Knickerbockers. They are facing off against the Rockets on Wednesday, January 23rd. That's going to be at the Garden. And then the uh, friendly neighborhood Brooklyn Nets are going to be hosting the Knicks at the Barclays Center on Friday, January 25th. And then finishing things out for the week on Sunday the 27th, the Heat will be playing against the Knicks, so they will not be leaving the state, the state for the next week after you know having to travel to London and then having to be everywhere on the West Coast for the week prior. Uh, but the Knicks are going to be playing against some quality teams over the next week. Uh, will they stop the bleeding? Do, do we I'll have say, any predictions here? I'll say they win one of the Nets' heat games. The Rockets against their pick-and-roll coverage is going to be a bloody disaster. Yeah, I'm not... not yeah, I, I want to be surprised... Right I wouldn't be surprised if Mitch fouled out in, like, six minutes. The first six minutes. Thank God. Im- immediately. Even still, I just don't... They're gonna. He's going to start Moody and Hardaway against the Rockets, and that might be... I, if I were one of them, I would just call him sick. It's going to be bad. I mean, I mean, we even saw today, like, the Knicks played good defense in individual stretches on, like, Paul George and Russell Westbrook and Dennis Schroeder. You know, Frank had a number of nice possessions today. Um, and even then, Westbrook basically had, uh, I think he was one assist shy of a triple-double, and Paul George had 31 points. And I don't think he even played the fourth quarter. You know, it's like, it's just, this is wh- where they're at. And I, I hate to make it sound like there's like no other points to talk about with it, but like they're going to get outclassed by good teams. It's just, it, it is what it is. We're used to this. Uh, we know what's coming. You know, the Thunder were a better team. The Knicks try hard today. You know, they, they did. I, I saw it in, at least with some guys individually, but um, it's just a better team, a much better team. And especially these Western Conference teams, they're going to beat up on you a little bit. So um, Harden's on an unbelievable stretch right now. And uh, this is the worst time you could ever want to play James Harden. And, um, like Brian said, they should just call out sick because it's it's going to be gross. Um, hopefully we're wrong and we get a nice, tight, exciting game here, but it's probably going to be gross. And we're, we're taping this Monday night. Harden has already scored 30 points. They're getting blown. The Rockets are getting blown out by the Sixers, but Harden did score 30 points again. He has th- 
He has 37. Okay, we're, the, the third quarter in that game just ended. He has 37 of 63 points as we're taping this right now. That's unbelievable. 37, you said? He has 37 so far? 37 of 63 points. They're getting blown. And what uh, what is the time in the game? It, the third quarter is just ended. I, he probably won't play at all in the fourth. In, the, in his last... Let's go. I'm going to go back. It, okay, so this is game 43 for him on the season. Uh, I'm going to go back to game 28 here. Moving backwards, 37 so far tonight. 48 against the Lakers. 58 against Brooklyn. 57 against Memphis. 38 against Orlando. 43 against Cleveland. 42 against Milwaukee. 32 against Denver. 38 against Portland, 44 against Golden State, 41 against Memphis, 45 against Boston, 41 against Oklahoma City, 39 against the Spurs, 35 against Miami. I I literally could just keep going. Like, there's an infinite amount that I could continue to go up until I reach one. It's. Well, four tonight. He's going to score 70 points on Wednesday. There's nothing that's going to stop him. Not counting the Sixers game, he's averaging 44.4 points in the month of January per game. He's he's scoring 70 on Wednesday. It's happening. I hope he scores 80. Can he score more than Kobe, please? If there was ever a time that that would happen, this is the most likely time. Honestly, that's that's funny you bring up Kobe, too, because this reminds me of that, like, 04, 05 Kobe, like, Inferno hot stretch. Was it that was the year he didn't mash one MVP, but Kobe averaged thirty five a game. Yes, and then they lost. To, that was the year I believe that was the year the Lakers went up three one on the Suns, and Kobe quit during Game Seven. Correct. That was those were good times. Kobe was a very mature adult. Harden is going to foul Mitchell Robinson out by himself. Robinson's going to chase after all those step-back threes, and he is he is going to be gone in 12 minutes. Can they please beat the Nets? Come on. I would love for them to beat the Nets. Who are they playing? Who's the next team they're playing after that? It's the Nets and then the... Mm-hmm. And then... Yeah, one of those two... I mean, like, I'm not really even playing based off of any sort of analysis. I'm just kind of playing, you know, the the odds at this point that something has to break. The Knicks cannot continue to go down this, you know, treacherous losing streak. But, I mean, what, at any, it could end at any point. It could continue for any point. It's just there's literally no telling when the Knicks will win another game. No, I'm aware Knox missed a month and Mitchell Robinson has missed a month and, and Trier missed a couple of weeks. and uh, Every team's been banged up, and that's just the nature of the business. But I remember Matt Moore said that the Knicks would be lucky to win 18 games. I think he had 18 or 20 games. It was 18. I think he said they'd be lucky to win 20. And I remember I was like, I mean, I'm not going to, like, split hairs with you. I think they're going to win between, like, 20 and 22 anyway. But um, 18 just sounds, like, really, really low. And then he was just like, I mean, outside of, like, Timmy, then who's going to score Knox? And I was like, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a good point. And and even then, Knox isn't going to come in and get 25 a night. So I was like, huh. And it sounded just crazy to me. But now I'm looking at this team like, yeah, they really might not win. I mean, eight more games in the next two and a half months, really? I, I, I don't know. I, do they? This might be like a 15-win team. Is that, is that a hot? Is that a hot take? I don't think that's particularly hot at the moment, considering the Knicks haven't won. You know, they, they've won three games in the last month and a half. You know, you look at there are, what, three months left in the season? It's, it's pretty likely they could end up, you know... Do you, all right, so... I guess if you're if we're looking at it right now, do you think they finish with more or less wins than the uh, than the 2015 season? What was that? I don't know. That's 17. Ooh, uh, I, you know what? Uh, I'm gonna say less. I think this team gets less. 
they've just it's gone in the wrong direction. Like in the first two months of the season, they were just your typical bad team. Like October, negative four and a half net rating. November, negative six net rating. Like that's not good, but you're like, all right, they're just like a normal bad team. It wasn't hopelessly bad. It was yeah. just it was just bad, scrappy but bad. December, negative eleven. January, negative nine. Now now they're playing like one of the worst teams in the league, and this the shit has to stop. They have to go back to just being a normal bad team. It's not. I don't. It's, Look, the, getting the pick, I understand all the theories behind getting the pick and the importance of it. I, I get it. There's also not enough people who understand the draft this year, as I've come to realize. It, it, there is to the point that you, you limit how far you can fall. But I would just I would rather see these young guys do well together than be this terrible. And I have to, I have to watch them play. So That's stop being really terrible. the thing. It, we don't. This doesn't need to be infuriating. They can just be bad and lose and everything. Like we've seen this a couple of times, and the Wizards game was a pretty good example of it. But we've seen this where, you know, ideally the Knicks would lose. Like they would lose every game they play by one basket, and it would be completely competitive to the end. And then, you know, we finish 0-82, and, and, you know, we are gifted Zion Williamson by Adam Silver. But uh, it's they don't need to be this... I, I, there's not even a word or a name that properly describes how the Knicks perform some nights or what it feels like to watch the Knicks in, you know, this... It, it's just, it's desperate. It, it, this is despair. Terrible is a pretty good word to describe. Terrible might just do the job here. Yep. No, I I've been in the same boat as where you know Brian's really been. Um, just too there's too many young guys on this team I root for. Want to see them do well. So when they lose, typically that means they are not doing well, uh, especially when it's in blowout fashion like today. So uh, I'm always gonna root for them to play well and in turn win. Um, this isn't like 2014, 15, or another tank year like that for me so uh we'll see what happens the rest of the year when you know maybe kp comes back and things are a little bit more tolerable even if he's you know barely playing but um we'll see but still i I mean you know i know they're not going to come often but i'm rooting for wins that sounds like probably the most optimistic note that we could get to end this podcast off with yeah so i'm gonna i'm gonna take it um Thank you, everybody, for tuning in and listening to the TKW podcast. Uh, please remember to rate, review, subscribe, uh, follow our YouTube or subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can listen to every episode there, along with tons of other content. Uh, visit thenixwall.com. Again, you can find the episodes there, uh, along with some fantastic writing. If you're looking for a more detailed uh, report from today's game, that's not completely just wallowing in its own misery. Uh, Kevin Gamgort has his recap at thenextwall.com at Kevin Gamgort or at Kev Gamgort at wow. I wanted to say his name, but then I want to say his at. So at Kev Gam four three eight on Twitter. Uh, go follow him. Read his uh, his recap. Thank you, Brian, for coming by. Thank you to Kyle. He left already because I'm droning on here. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great rest of the night.